0: Father, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you for these wonderful people who are gathered in your name today. Open our ears and our hearts that we would hear your word, and your word would go forth in power and in boldness. And everyone shouted a great big amen. There was a successful author years ago by the name of E.M. Gary. He wrote an essay called, and I quote, the common denominator of success. He spent his life searching the lives of men and women, trying to find the one denominator of all successful people. He found in his research that it wasn't hard work, it wasn't good luck, it wasn't excellent relationships, although all of those are important. The one factor that this man found that seemed to transcend all the rest was this, putting first things first. In other words, he found that successful people were people who organized their life around making sure that they put first things first. In other words, setting right priorities was very vital to their success in life. Someone once said, and I quote, things that matter most must never be at the mercy of things that matter the least. Now my friends, it turns out that that principle is not only good for your life, but it's also good for your spiritual life as well. And this morning, I would like to continue my sermon series called First Things first. In other words, I'm preaching on the thought, how do I put God first in my life? What does it mean to put God first? It almost is a Christian cliche. I've put God number one. I've put God first. But my friends, what does it mean to put God first? Does it mean I pray more? Does it mean I read the Bible more? Does it mean I go to church more? Or do I have to serve more? What does it exactly entail? What does it mean to put God first? Now, let's all face it. Let's all get real and transparent for a moment. Life is busy. We all have jobs to work, we have to care for one another. We're in relationships, we're checking emails taking kids to soccer practices. Life is so busy. And then before you know it, it's time to go to bed. How in the world am I to put something else in my schedule? Have you ever thought about that? Oh, pastor, I want to put God first, but I'm not sure if I could add something else to my schedule. And my friends, those are legitimate concerns and legitimate fears. We do live in a fast-paced society, and all of us are extremely busy. What does it mean to put God first? Well, let me just explain just a bit. Putting God first is making sure that He is priority in our life. It means that He is the principal figure in our life. It means that He is more important than anyone else. His word is valuable than any other message. His will is weightier than any other imperative. His agenda is my agenda. His values are my values. Whatever God cares about, I care about. You see, sometimes we have a tendency, and certainly I'm guilty of it, to compartmentalize all of our life. For example... Church is here, my job is here, my family is here, etc. We have a tendency to compartmentalize our lives. But you see, putting God first really transcends those boundaries. When you put Jesus first in your heart, then that means that Jesus affects everything about your life. He affects everything. Everything He affects your relationships, he affects your friendships, he affects how you deal with money and how you spend your money, he deals with your church attendance, he deals with your conduct, your character, and your conversation. When Jesus becomes number one in your life, then Jesus affects every area of your life. Christianity is not a Sunday thing. Christianity is a relationship with Jesus that affects and transforms every area of our lives. Let's not compartmentalize our life. There is no such thing as the spiritual life and the secular life. As a Christian, everything is viewed from the lens of spirituality. All of our life is spiritual. The way I treat my spouse, The way I raise my children, what I do with my money, how I treat the waitress after church at a restaurant, everything about me is affected because Jesus is on the throne of my heart. Can I hear an amen this morning? You see, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, and I quote, but seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added to you. Jesus was clear that you have to seek him and his kingdom first before things are added to you. We have a tendency to add things to our life before seeking him and his kingdom. And when you go after adding things to your life, instead of putting first things first, it will never work in your life. It will never work. The pillar New Testament commentary, the Gospel of Matthew, page 161, concerning Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 says this, and I quote, Set your hearts on his kingdom first. The present imperative conveys the idea, quote, keep seeking, is not telling his hearers how to make themselves Christian, but he is telling them how to behave because they are a Christian. You see, my friends, putting God first is not a checklist. Putting God first is not something you do to add to your life. Putting Jesus first is not a checklist where we become exhausted trying to figure out how do I add something else to my calendar. My friends, if that is what you are hearing from me, that is incorrect, I am not asking you to add something else to your life. I'm not asking you to have a checklist. I am asking you to have a different perspective. To put Jesus as number one and Lord over your heart. And when he truly becomes number one, then you filter everything out of your life through the lens of a heart that is dedicated and surrendered to God. You see, last week... I started a sermon series called First Things First. And I suggested in this sermon series that there are many different ways that we could put God first. How do you put God first in your marriage? How do you put God first in relationships? How do you put God first at my workplace or the marketplace? But there are, there's one thing that I believe that causes great tension in the church. Something that sometimes we steer away from. Sometimes we step away back. We step back from it because we don't want to touch the subject. But there is one area that I believe that most of us have a problem putting God first in. Now, granted, my friends, if 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 you don't struggle with this, that's fine. I'm not pinpointing anyone and I'm not calling anybody out. Because there are times in my life I've struggled with it as well. But I believe that the area of money and finances can be a great struggle for some people. And I believe that if you read the Bible, Jesus is very concerned about what you do with your money. And Jesus is very concerned about how you spend your money. And for a few moments this morning, I want to look at that and I want to look at how we can put God first in our money. You know, as I study the Scriptures, I have found that any time you begin to deal with money, people get upset. As a matter of fact, this has been going on since the, uh, the beginning of time. I, I, I recall reading the New Testament and Jesus begins to talk about money. I want you to see how the religious leaders responded to Jesus the Bible says in Luke chapter 16 verse 14 out of the new living translation the Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all of this and they begin to scoff at him when Jesus began to talk about money those religious leaders didn't like it it touched a nerve it it touched something that was sensitive I love what the message Bible says now, I don't study the message Bible. It's a paraphrase, but I thought this was interesting in Luke chapter 16, verse 14 from the message Bible. And I quote, when the Pharisees, a money obsessed bunch, heard him say these things, they rolled their eyes, dismissing him as hopelessly out of touch. You see, my friends, anytime you deal with money, you're going to have people that will say, pastor, I'm okay. Pastor, don't go there. I love you and respect you, but don't go there. I understand that. Let's get real this morning. I really do understand that. And I understand that people have legitimate concerns because of past experiences. Some people think, well, the preacher is out to get my money. Some people think, well, the preacher is getting rich off of the church. And Some people think that, you know, Uh, I don't have a problem with that area. I'm generous. I give. I don't need to hear it. Or some people have seen and heard things in the church that's caused walls of mistrust. Maybe they've been part of a church that mishandled money. Maybe they've seen stuff on TV, made them suspicious over money of how churches use and operate their money. Well, let me just clarify a few things for you. And let me help you lay some fears to rest this morning. At this church, at Christ Point Church, we have a financial team who loves you, loves me, and loves the dream and passion of this church. We have three people. We have Troy Thiessen, we have Sandy Smith, we have Bob Brewer. These, the lady and these two men, they love God, they love to see the vision of this church perpetuated. And I'm telling you, they set the budget. They look at the budget. There are people of men, there are women, and men of integrity. They set the budget. I don't. I give suggestions, but they ultimately have the say. We have an administrator, Brandon Adwell, who walks in character and in integrity. He makes sure that there's two eyes on every check that that's written from this church. My friends, we are trying our best to walk with character and in integrity with the money that you give because we ultimately know that the money that you contribute to this church, we are responsible for in the eyes of God. Can I hear an amen? And lastly, as your pastor, I want to make sure that we handle things with character and integrity. I never just go write a check unless somebody approves of it. I don't have that power or authority. And my friends, I don't want that power or authority. I want to keep myself accountable. Amen. So it's important for you to remember, let's not judge the church based upon past experiences. I don't want you to judge our church based upon what you see on Christian TV. I am not a televangelist. I'm not after your money. But I do want to tell you something. And this is a revelation. It takes money to run things. And that's a wonderful point. I mean, that's a wonderful point. How do you think the lights come on? Do you think an angel from heaven comes to my office and comes into my office and says, Behold, holy one. I've come to bring you 12 golden tablets full of money to pay your bills this week. My friends, let's get transparent. It takes money to run a church. It takes money to run a hospital. It takes money to run a gym. It takes money to run a restaurant. It takes money to run everything in life. Another fallacy is sometimes we think big crowds equal lots of money. That's incorrect. Sometimes the biggest crowds is the least amount of offering we've received. Because one person thinks another person is giving. You never judge a crowd. And lastly, I have a big vision. I want to reach this area. I want us to be a regional church. Oh, I love the city of Goleta. I love Joplin. But do you realize we have people from all over coming to this church, from different parts of this region? Because I firmly believe that God gave us this building, not just to be a city church, but for us to be a regional church so that we could be a life-giving source to this region. And my friends, I believe that God's going to do it. I believe that God's raising up people with a generous heart. I believe that God's raising up people to say, I want to go with you with this vision. Is there anybody that can wave your hand and say, Pastor, I want to be a part of that vision. I want to be a part of a regional church. And it takes money to run finances. I want to give you four quick things about money this morning. Number one, very four things very quickly. Number one, Money can be revealing. Everybody shout, money can be revealing. I want you to say it again at the count of three as loud as you can say it. One, two, three. You see, my friends, how you handle money reveals more about you than anything else. Money operates as a rival God who challenges our allegiance. It reveals our priorities. The God of money invites us to worship ourselves as we indulge in our comfort and our pleasure. That great preacher Billy Graham once said this, and I quote, Tell me what you think about money, and I'll tell you what you think about God. For these two are closely related. A man's heart is closer to his wallet than anything else You remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, verse 10? Listen to the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 16, verse 10. If you are faithful with little things... You will be faithful with large things. But if you are dishonest with little things, you will be dis, you will, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches of heaven? If you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with the things of your own? No man can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6 verse 19, and I quote, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and venom destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and venoms do not destroy, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also." My friends, money reveals more about you than anything else in life. And I want to make sure you understand something, that in your bank account right now, and the money that you have in your wallet, right now it's waving at you. And you know what it's saying to you? Trust me. Make me your God. Love me. Let me make a way for you. Let me bring comfort to you. There is a battle going on in the bank account. Your money wants to be a God to you. And you've got to make sure you understand that if money is your God, then you're going to be a, it's going, it's a horrible slave master. Money can be revealing. Money reveals more about you than anything else. Number two, money can be restrictive. Money can be restrictive. What do I mean by that? Well, money can restrict you from trusting God. Money can restrict you from trusting God. In other words, the more that you have, the more you will begin to think you can buy your way out. The more you have, the more you will begin to think you can spin your way out. The more money you have, the more you'll begin to think you can impress your way out. When you have lots of money... You will begin to trust money as your God. And money will be a priority to you. You'll run after with all your strength. You'll run after with all your passion. And you'll come to a place in your life where money is restricting you from trusting God. Now I've learned one thing, that little money or much money can restrict you. And I'm going to push the envelope and say this, poverty can be a God too. Sometimes we can focus so much upon our lack and we can't do it that it becomes an idol in our life. Can I hear an amen this morning? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 24, listen to what Jesus said. I'll say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the idol. eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said that it's almost very difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God because they are relying on their riches. They're relying on their wealth. They're running after it. And what does it do? It restricts you from worshiping and trusting God. Even Paul said in First Timothy chapter six, verse six, listen to the words of Saint Paul, and I quote, Yet true godliness with contentment in itself is great grain, great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we will take we can't take anything with us when we leave. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Some of you need to get that tattooed right on your forehead. If you have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people, look at this scripture. But people who long to be rich fall in the temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. What are you saying, pastor? I'm saying money can be restrictive. That when you trust money, if you have money, you can begin to trust it as if it's your God and you rely upon it. Now, I'm not saying everybody does it. I'm not saying it's bad to have money, as long as money don't have you. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 7, this is a familiar passage of Scripture, but this is the children of Israel. Look at it. This is what God said to His people. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks and water, fountains of springs that flow out of the valleys and hills. A land of wheat and barley, of wigs, uh, uh, vines, and fig trees. A land of, olive, uh, of olives and honey. Verse number 9. A land in which you will eat bread, in which you will lack nothing, whose stones are iron, and whose heels you can dig copper. And when you have eaten and when you are full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he's brought you into. You see how good God is? God is saying, I'll bring you into this good land. I'm giving you all this food. I'm giving you all these blessings. I want you to continue with the scripture. And the Bible says in verse number 11, But beware that you don't forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I've commanded you. You know what the Lord is saying? The Lord is saying some of you are going to get so blessed Some of you are going to get so blessed that when you come into the place that I have given you, you're going to forget that I did it for you. Beware that you don't forget me. Oh, my friends, I wish you would hear Pastor Josh today. I have prayed for a lot of people, and they've got their boats and their cars and their houses and their money, but the moment they get blessed, they walk out the front door, and I don't see them till the next time they need a blessing. But I want to let you know today, God's been too good for you, for you to sit there and not to give God praise and glory and give him the first fruits of your increase. Beware that you don't forget the Lord the next time you get in your car the next time you get in your boat The next time you go to your house and sleep in your comfortable bed I'm not against any of those things But you got to be aware that those things have to be in its rightful place Don't forget me I want to let you know that God is a jealous God Pastor Josh is not against things believe me. I like all those things I listed But you got to be careful it doesn't restrict you from trusting God. God is a jealous God. And you know what God is saying today? Don't elevate anything to my status. Don't trust anything and love anything beyond that you trust me. Don't depend on anything like you depend on me. If I'm not God over everything, then I'm not God over anything. He is saying today that I am not a co-God, I'm not a junior God, I'm not a vice God. If you make money, your God. God is saying, I will step back and take my hands off of your finances. And my friends, I want God to be in my finances because little is much when God is in it. If God can bless a little piece of bread and a little bit of fish, he can bless your money. Let me tell you something, money will buy you a bed but it's not going to buy you sleep. Money will buy you books, but it won't buy you brains. Money will buy you food, but it won't buy you an appetite. Money will buy you a house, but it won't buy you a home. Money will buy you medicine, but it won't buy you health. Money will buy you a crucifix, but it won't buy you a savior. Money will buy you a church pew, but it won't buy you heaven. Money will not save you at the midnight hour. Money is not going to bring you lasting peace. Money is not going to heal your baby on drugs. Money is not going to deliver you from the demons at night. There's only one person that deserves my heart, and that is is Christ, the Lord. He deserves to be number one and not money. Some of you are trusting money too much. Trusting your job too much. God is saying the same God that gave it to you can be the same God that can take it from you. Sometimes, listen, you say, Pastor, that's hard preaching. It's the Bible. Because if you call yourself a Christian, He is the Father, and if you don't do what He wants you to do, fathers discipline their children. And some of the ways He disciplines us is by removing the blessings He's put in your life. So we got to be careful we do it God's way. Number three, money can be revolutionary. What do you mean by revolutionary? Money is a tool to further the kingdom of God. If you truly believe that life is eternal... If you truly believe that life is eternal, that you're going to live on forever, then why do we invest all of our money, our time, our finances into, into, into entertainment and possessions that's going to decay? I've never seen a U-Haul coming after a hearse. Why do we spend so much of our money trying to make everybody happy and trying to make ourselves happy? Years ago, there was a woman by the name of Leona Helmsley. I'm sure you've heard of Leona Helmsley. There's a picture behind me. Leona Helmsley was a billionaire. Billionaire. When she died, she left $12 million in a trust fund to her dog. Her dog's name was Trouble. After her death, the court reduced the trust fund for her little dog to $2 million. Because the court said, quote, this is ridiculous to leave 12 million to a dog. What are you saying, pastor? Are you against dogs? I'm not against a dog. But don't let the D-O-G be your G-O-D. Don't let your C-A-R be your G-O-D. Don't let your J-O-B be your G-O-D. The point is, is that she didn't make an impact on anything. You can't take it with you. If you can't take it with you, can you not send it ahead of you? If you can't take it with you, can you not send it ahead? When we have a missions offering and you give to missions, you know what you're doing? Your money is outlasting you. You are propagating the gospel around the world and lives are being transformed and changed. Instead of buying another happy meal and buying another meal here and going out to eat and buying more of this and more of that, why don't you send your money ahead of you? Jesus said this in Luke chapter 16, verse 9. Jesus said this, I'm telling you, that although wealth is often used in dishonest ways, you should use it to make friends for yourself. For when life is over, you will be welcomed into your eternal home. Do you know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying this, your money can be used dishonestly. But Jesus says, why don't you use it to affect people's lives? Because when life is over, you will be welcomed into eternal life. What are you doing with your money that's going to outlast you? Richard Foster said this in his great book called Defining Harmony in a Complex World. He said this, the goal of work is not to gain wealth and possessions, but to serve the common good and bring God glory. My last point, number four. Is that money can be rewarding. Now, what do I mean by that? I'm meaning how you use your money can be rewarding. How you use it. Giving money can be rewarding. Say that with me. Giving money can be rewarding. Say it again. Giving money can be rewarding. It's rewarding to give. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, and I quote, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that it is more blessed to give than receive. Listen to Richard Foster again in his book, Celebration of Discipline, and I quote, Giving with a glad and generous heart has a way of rooting out that tough old miser within us. Even the poor need to know that they can give. Just the very act of letting go of money or some other treasure does something within us. It destroys the demon called greed. I want to propose this to you. That the average American only gives, quote, 2.8% of their money. If you make over $100,000, the average American only gives 2.6%. Americans are not generous. We're not the most generous nation. We're the most ungenerous nation in the world. Because we only give 2.6% or 2.8%. Do you know why we think we're generous? We think we're generous because we give. And there's a difference between walking in generosity and giving. And that's the fallacy that we have fallen into. I'm generous, Pastor, because I give. Well, giving and being generous are two separate things. I'm going to say that again. Giving and being generous is two separate things. I'm going to say it again. Giving and being generous is two separate things. Do you know what generosity is? Generosity is reordering your life around the thrill about being used of God with your money. That's what it means to be generous. Anybody can throw a few dollars in the offering plate. Anybody can be manipulated to give. But are you walking with a spirit of generosity, wanting God to use you because he has blessed you so much in your life? Most of you feel like you don't have it to do it. But let me give you the right perspective this morning. You are a very blessed people. You live in a very blessed nation, and you are rich according to, the Nash, to, to, uh, according to the standards of other nations. You are very rich. You say, Pastor, I don't feel rich. I'm barely making it. I'm trying my best. But if you realize that 75% of the world is living in poverty, then you will see yourself as very rich. 75% of the world don't have a garage where you can park their car in. of the world don't have a comfortable bed to sleep in. They sleep in one or two rooms with their children with them. 75% of the world's population don't have an air conditioning. They don't have a car. But you are very blessed. In fact, you drive your car into a garage. In other words, you're driving your car into a mini house. You are so blessed. Most Americans don't think we're rich because you're barely making it. But if you compare it to the standards of the world, you are very, very rich. God has blessed this nation. God has blessed you. And God has blessed this church. And there is no way under the heaven I could ever sit doing a church service and not give God something because He's been so good to me. The reason, the reason we don't give, listen to me church, the reason we don't give is not because you don't want to, you want to. I believe that every person under the sound of my voice, you want to give. Every person that's in this building, you want to give. You know why I know that? Because you're a great group of people. You love God, you're here, you want to support the vision. The fact of the matter is, is inside of you, you really do want to give. I believe that with all of my heart. But yet some of us, we're struggling so much. We're barely making it. And it's a cycle. And we can't get ahead in our life. I'm telling you, my friends, this is how we operate. We operate in a scarcity mindset. We're scared. We we, we don't know what to do. We're barely making it. But God is saying, listen. If you want to break that cycle in your life, you got to do it God's way. Listen to me, church. I'm trying to help you as a father in the faith, as your pastor. I'm trying to let you know that there are certain ways and certain things that God expects. And God expects stewardship. You know what stewardship is? Stewardship is this. Managing God's blessings, God's way, for God's glory. Say that with me. Managing God's blessings, God's way, for God's glory. Say it again. Managing God's blessings, God's way, God's glory. God expects you to do it a certain way. In the Old Testament, they would give of their tithe. The tithe represents 10%. It was like a tax in the Old Testament. And there were many different types of taxes, but one of the most common ones was the 10%. And the people would bring their offerings to the Lord, and their tithe supported the temple, which was a ministry. And it's interesting, God initiated that to support the work of the ministry to support the land is a pattern in the old testament and now in the new testament we give of our 10 percent what rightfully belongs to the lord not because we're cursed listen if you think well pastor i've messed up i haven't given my 10 percent, i'm cursed i don't believe you're cursed because jesus delivered us from the curse on the cross i don't believe you need to go back and try to make up everything that you forgot to give Because I believe this is a habit and a discipline. This is a practice that we do. It's not a legalistic checklist. This is something that comes from our heart, acknowledging God's goodness in our life. You see, tithing is the floor. It's not the ceiling. And if they gave 10% in the Old Testament, how much more should we give in the New Testament? We are extremely blessed. You see, when you get your paycheck... Give the 10%. You say, Pastor, I don't have it. That's the point. The point is you're supposed to trust God. It takes faith to give the first. It doesn't take faith to give the last. Let's say that with me. It takes faith to give the first. It doesn't take faith to give the last. Say it again. It takes faith to give the first. It doesn't take faith to give the last. You see, when you get your paycheck, you give the first 10% to the Lord because it takes faith to do that. It doesn't take faith to give to God after you paid the light bill and the electric bill and you paid the mortgage. If you have it, you'll give it. That doesn't take faith. It takes faith when you get the paycheck and the first thing you do is you acknowledge that God, you're my source, you bless me with this job, you bless my family, and I want to give you the first of my income to you. And you know what God does? God blesses the 90% and it goes further than the 100% could ever do. You know what tithing does? It builds your faith. You see, you say, well, pastor, it's an Old Testament thing. But you see, it was the pattern of the Old Testament for people to give offerings to the Lord. And it was even before the law. Look at Genesis 14, verse 18. Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High. He said, blessed be Abram, the God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered our enemies, and Abram gave a tenth of everything. He gave a tithe. Even Solomon said in Proverbs chapter three, verse nine, and I quote, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase and the first fruits. Give God the first. And what happens? The barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. You know what I'm challenging today, church? I'm challenging you to put God first because God's going to show up and show out in your life. You see, Jesus even said you ought to tithe. He told the religious leaders, Matthew 23, 23. He says, what awaits you sorrows of religious leaders and Pharisees, you hypocrites? For you tithe on the tiniest income, but you've ignored the most important parts of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Yes, you should tithe, but don't forget to do the other things. You see, this is the way we operate in the world. You have a job, and God supplies Okay. God supplies. And then when God supplies, you know what we do? The first thing we'll do when God supplies is that we begin to lack. All right, we consume, we spend the money, we pay our bills, we get groceries, and then we get into lack, and then we get into fear. I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill, I ran out of money, I don't know what to do. That's the cycle that most Americans live in. God supplies, we get the paycheck, and then we consume it. We pay everything else, and we make sure we have everything we need in our family, and then we lack because we don't have enough, and then we get in a cycle. This is a cycle that we find ourselves in. But God is saying that stewardship is managing God's blessings God's way. What is God's way? God's way is that I put God first in my finances because it doesn't take a lot of faith to put Him last. It takes a lot of faith to put Him first. What happens? God supplies. Then we give. We give of our 10%. God multiplies it and our faith grows. And guess what happens? You start to give over the 10%. You see, it's not about a legalistic 10%. Some of you have been blessed so well that you can give beyond the 10%. Some of you, 10% is the floor. Don't look at it as a ceiling. Don't, Don't look at it as a checklist. Look at it like I'm responding to the grace of God because of what He's done for me. You say, well, preacher, what are you saying? If I tithe, preacher, if, I, if I'm to give, that means I'm to re-prioritize my life. I, I, you, you mean to tell me that you want me to put, put everything else second? That's exactly what I'm telling you. Because this is a church of growth. And as a pastor, I live my life to disciple people and to grow people. This is not a a, a carnival. This is not a cruise ship where I come along and fluff your pillow and tell you how good you're always doing. I'm a father in the faith and fathers want to tell their children the truth and I'm telling you that God wants to bless you but first you've got to be obedient with what God's given you. Listen, those, listen, those Most in touch with the grace of God are the ones that's most generous with their offerings. What does your giving say about your relationship with the God? In many ways, tithing is just an entrance level into grace. The more of the grace of the gospel that captures my heart, I'm not going to come to church and say, I better tithe $23.53 exactly to the penny. No, no. A generous heart says, how much can I give? How how much fully can I give to be fully missional and generous to the kingdom of God? Not, oh, I better give my 10%. Is that really the heart that God wants us to have? Because of the love that God has lavished on us, I want to give beyond my 10%. I want to live so generously, there's a difference between being generous and giving. I want to have a thrill in blessing and being generous to people. The Bible says in Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give to your bosom? Shall they give back? Men don't give spiritual blessings, they give physical blessings. Give and somebody will bless you. It doesn't happen all the time. Blessings come in different ways and different forms, but there are times that God rewards us financially. Second Corinthians chapter 9 verse 7, let each of us that we've purposed in our heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, but let's give with a cheerful heart. It's our attitude. Exodus 35 verse 20 the whole assembly came together and withdrew from Moses' presence. And everyone with a willing heart whose heart has been moved came and brought an offering to the tent of the meeting for its service, for its sacred garments. All men who were willing, women alike, came. And what did they do? They brought their earrings, gold, ornaments. They presented it as a wave offering to the Lord. And the Bible says in Exodus 36, verse 5, And the people brought more than enough, more than enough, more than enough. And Moses gave an order. He sent a word. No man or no woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And they were restrained from giving because they had given more than enough for the work. I I pray to God, let me see it before I die. One time, people are so happy to give and so generous. I got to get up on Sunday morning and say, folks, please, let's stop the giving. Please give me that opportunity. Most of you, I hate to say this, the majority of you, according to statistics, will leave this church. Get in the car. Go eat your food. According to statistics, only 25% of those who come to church put to practice what is preached, according to George Barna, which is the majority of you will go home and not think about this ever again. And I'm challenging you that this is not something I have prayed and studied all week to give you the word of God. I don't want credit. I'm telling you, my heart is to see this church bust out and reach the region, but we gotta have all of us on board and saying, Pastor, I'm with board with you. Not only do I support you with my attendance, I support you with my giving. I support you with my giving. I'm there 100%. Say, Pastor, I don't have it. You've missed the point. You've missed the point. It's not about whether you have it or not. It takes faith to give the first. God is saying, I'm raising up people of faith, not people of feelings. You're never going to feel like tithing. You're never going to feel like being generous. And God is saying, this is a walk of faith. I'm raising people up to faith. And on October the 9th, October the 9th, one month from now, I'm challenging this church to tithe everybody on a Sunday. All of us on one Sunday morning, let's tithe and bring the first to the Lord. Whatever you make in one week at your job, I want you to tithe. If you make $300, that's $30. If you make $800 in a week, that's $80. If you want to be generous and go over, you're really pushing the omelet. That's awesome. It's not about, it's not about the 10%. It's about our hearts being touched by the grace of God. Some of us have been tithing the same thing for years. God is saying, come on, let's be generous. Let's move up the envelope. Let's make sure our giving's better this year than was last year. Is your faith being pushed? Is your faith being stretched a little bit? Let's be outrageously generous. And I'm asking you on October the 9th, all of us as an assembly, including Tiffany and I, it will bring our first to the Lord and an offering to the Lord. And let's see what God will do. Amen. I said all of this this morning, not to make you feel degraded, not to push you down, not to say you're not doing enough. Listen, Pastor Josh loves you, and you're not going to find another pastor that loves you as much as I love you. I love you from the bottom of my heart. I'm your pastor. I'm your father in the faith, but I I, I have a big vision. I have been to the mountaintop, and I have seen the future, and I have decided to live there, and I know what God wants to do. I said, I know what God wants to do do. And I'm asking you to come along on the journey with me. I'm challenging you to grow in your faith to believe God for big things. Hey, man, listen, one time I was having a hard time tithing. As a matter of fact, I wasn't tithing. I was in Bible school. I was 20, 19 years old. I was working at McDonald's and I had dorm payment, which was $400 a month. And I was working at McDonald's and my paycheck was like 300. I didn't have enough money. And I was un- under so much guilt because I knew I needed to put God first. And I went to church one Sunday morning. There were 6,000 people in church that morning. I was sitting over to the right with my hand, my head on the pew. And I was crying. I said, Lord, I don't want to be faithful with my giving. I just don't have it. God is my witness. The pastor of the 6,000-member church got up, took the platform, and these are the words he said. The Holy Spirit apprehended me to say this. I don't know who this is for. Somebody has come in here feeling guilty because they've missed their tithing. But the Lord has told me to tell you that he's a God of mercy and grace. You're forgiven. Let it go and start anew today. Out of 6,000, out of 6,000 people. Out of 6,000 people, I jumped up in tears, started rolling down my eyes. At the first time in my life, I realized it's not legalistic. It's not a, it's not a checklist. It's not something I have to do. It's something that I want to do. And right there, I made a decision whether I had money or whether I had money for my dorm payment. It didn't matter. You're coming first, and then, God, you'll supply the dorm payment. What about it, folks? Let's give God. God but rightfully belongs to him because God's getting ready to do something marvelous in this place. We have grown over 67 people since March and not everybody's here. It's a holiday weekend. I believe God should get some glory today.